0: Hello everyone, I'm the Touring, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Lore of the Apocalypse. On this show, I'm going to explore the lore of Werewolf the Apocalypse. With version 5 of Werewolf and a couple of official video games all right around the corner, I thought it was a great time to refresh my memory on over two decades of lore while inviting others along for the ride. If you like what I'm doing or have any questions, feel free to hit me up on either Twitter or Patreon, both of which I'm the underscore ring, and that's t-o-e-r-i-n-g that's enough for me let's get to it hello cub welcome back to the fire for another talk we've spent the last half dozen or so nights covering what being a werewolf means We've discussed some of the powers and abilities that you've gained or will gain, as well as gone over the basics of the new society and rules that you've been born into. Tonight, we're going to dig a bit deeper into that specific part of your life and what it means, because tonight, we're going to talk about breeds. Now, since werewolves are part wolf, you're probably thinking that I'm talking about breeds like pugs, Boston Terriers, or even Great Danes. "'but that's not quite where I'm going with this. "'Your breed is one of a few terms that other Garu will ask or use "'when you are meeting for the first time "'as it helps to determine your place within Garu's society "'and your individual pack. "'As we've covered before, Garu are born, "'not infected with a curse or disease or anything else like that. "'Werewolves are wolf, man, and spirit melded into one form, "'but they have to come from somewhere.' A werewolf's breed is a function of immediate parentage, never perfectly balanced, always slightly askew. Each Garu's breed is determined by his or her mother's natural form. We'll start with the quickest, the form that most of our kind are now born in, Hamid. If you remember back to our first talk, Hamid is our word for the human form. If your mother is a werewolf or a human kinfolk, and you were born as a human making you a homad. Raised in human form and society, but never fully a part of it due to their dual nature, homed werewolves have a deeper understanding of humanity's rules, even if they find them strange or annoying. Other kids probably unconsciously reacted to the predator within you and to the vicious temper that went along with it. Strange dreams of the moon. The taste of blood or the sounds and smells of warfare may have acted as warnings to your inevitable change. Nicknamed apes, monkeys, or two-legs, the Hamid-born werewolf find their familiarity with technology in the human world offset by a weaker connection to the wolf and spirit portions of their nature. The second way in which Garu can be born is the opposite end of the spectrum, and that is to be born as a lupus or wolf. None are closer to nature and Gaia than those born with four legs, out in the wilderness that is her last refuge. Precocious and intelligent werewolves born in a litter of wolves quickly rise above their siblings. Generally, sometimes towards the end of their first year, the spirit within them that connects to the human portion of their being will begin to grow stronger, calling for them to break away from their family and strike out on their own in search of others like them. They know they are different and that there is more out there than just hunting and breeding and they go forth alone to find it or perhaps even, as I said, find others like them. Gearing up to the first change, a young lupus may find that they can hear the spirits that flit around them, invisible and normally silent. The world is always speaking and spirits are everywhere, The lupus always have their noses and ears open, and unlike homids, they trust those senses. So when a lupus hears or sees a spirit, she instantly accepts that what she hears and sees is true. When she catches the scent of winter on a clear summer day, she knows that the essence of winter must lurk nearby, even if it makes no sense. Whether she investigates or leaves the strange experiences is all dependent on the wolf, but accepting what she smells as fact is universally lupus. The first change that comes to a lupus is in some ways both similar and incredibly different than that their Hamed cousins experience. Where homids are born of omnivorous humans that are both predator and prey, humans that were themselves culled by werewolves and thus experienced delirium, Lupus are born of true predators. An adult wolf has never been prey. As a pup, they were protected from predators by the pack, and as adult, they fear nothing from the natural world. Sure, a the fire, blizzard, or flood may harm or even kill them, but they accept these disastrous flukes of nature as they come. If it kills them, it kills them, but if they survive, they move on from it with no fear of the disaster repeating. Where homids find their changes coming about due to fear or threat, such changes are much more rare in a lupus. For them, it is much more likely to be the change of survival, where being shot by a hunter or in their desire to survive, they leap upon them, or needing to take down a huge bull moose to feed their pack. the Lupus tends to change when their normal wolf form can't do what they need it to do. Any great need can bring about the change, be it the need to run faster, survive the biting winds of a blizzard, or the strength to lift a fallen boulder from the mouth of the den that Pack makes a tracked in. They can all force the cub to take their Krenos form. The rarest change can come about when a lupus being so much closer to and more in touch with the spirit world simply shifts. While we are indeed warriors of Gaia, we also share an immense connection to the spirit world and in those rare examples where a lupus has such a connection, the spirits may tell them that they can shift and that it is time to do so. When these newly changed lupus are found and brought back to a sept, they are suddenly thrust into a world filled with colors they've never seen before. Where complex and abstract thinking is the norm, they must learn not only the language of the Garu that allows us to speak when in non-human forms, but also the language of the humans with which they will interact. Luckily, a young lupus who would normally only see eight or nine years of life, time seems to slow down after the change, aiding them in their learning. Born and raised in a pack, the lupus quickly and easily drop into the packs and seps of Garu's society, but can find fitting into the more complex and varied societies of humans much more difficult. These linguistic and cultural hurdles, however, are offset by some quite amazing advantages. The wolf-born lack the spiritual disconnection that the Hamid have developed over time in the cities of the Weaver and have a natural knack for mastering our rites and rituals. And finally we come to the third breed. Garu shall not mate with Garu. It is the first of our laws, but it is and has been the one which is broken the most often. The third and final way in which Garu can be born is to two other Garu. These unfortunate children are often heavily maligned as their very existence is seen by some as an affront to Gaia herself. Where Muhammad and Lupus werewolves have a small chance of passing on their legacy, any pregnancy that results from a Garu-Garu pairing is inevitably born as a Garu. The sad irony of this is that these children are born sterile and unable to reproduce on their own, giving them no way to ensure the future of their people. As I stated when we last discussed the litany, I shared my personal belief that these children should not be punished for their parents' mistakes, and I stand by that. Born with deformed bodies, minds, or spirits, these poor souls are punished enough without some asshole shoving their nose down into the dirt for something that they had no choice in. Enough of that, though. Let's get on with the lesson. The children of two Garu are born as warriors in their Krenos form, meaning that they aren't able to live within either human or wolf society. Being deformed in some way adds yet another layer of misery as a baby in Krenos form that has its own complications. You now potentially have a toddler with fangs, claws, and little to no self-control. As any parent can tell you, a five year old can pitch one hell of a temper tantrum. Now imagine that five year old is nearly six foot tall and filled with a rage that they can't even begin to comprehend or control. I mean, a normal child can hurt an adult, but a child like this can easily kill a man. This difficulty combined with parents that have a tendency to distance themselves from their mistake leads the den father or mother to raise the child, a job that they are often ill-equipped for. Other duties or willful neglect can lead to younger Garu being tasked with the duty, turning the child into a game of hot potato with claws. Raised entirely within the Sept and Garu society, they are indoctrinated from birth They learn only as much about the world as the other members of the Sept teach them, leading to a worldview skewed and warped of passing through a Garu. Being unable to interact in first person with the outside world, they are forced to learn about it from friendly kinfolk or whatever the local den father or mother tells them. For some third breed children that have the misfortune of being born within a more conservative Sept or tribe, The normal education a human child would get is bypassed as unnecessary as well, leading to an adult Garu heading out into the world after their rite of passage with no knowledge of history, math, or even proper grammar. This has become a bit easier in the modern world with the advent of books, magazine, television, movies, and even the internet, but again, only if the Sept Master deems them necessary being born in this way combines possible parental abandonment with constant braiding for something that was not their control and an upbringing that can resemble that of a religious cult compound is it any wonder that some of these kids turn out messed up in the head with even the strongest will forever bearing the marks of this on both their bodies and spirits As I've said before, Hamid undergoes their first change into Krenos somewhere between 10 and 16 years old, and a lupus around 2. A child of the third breed, on the other hand, starts their lives there, and instead shifts into either human or wolf sometime around 6 or 8. It is then that they can first begin to speak as a human, having previously only been able to speak the Garu tongue. Since they are born and raised within the Sept, the fact that they will one day go through their first change is well known to them. This makes the process much less chaotic and confusing than it is for their Hamid and lupus cousins. The change is something which they dream about as it means they can begin to earn the respect of the Sept, with their right completed, some more progressive tribes and septs choose to expose this newly minted Garu to human society and what some joking will refer to as their rumspringa. Much like the Amish, this term is borrowed from these young ones that are sent out into the world to see what it's like to live outside the confines of the sept family. Unlike the mommish, though, these children will almost definitely have a chaperone, as a lone werewolf can do a whole lot more damage than a couple of kids getting their drink on for the first time. But, that's enough about the downsides of being Gauru-born. Let's go on to its advantages. For hominid lupus werewolves, their regenerative abilities are suppressed in their birth forms, while those born in Krinos do not suffer this same limitation. Like their lupus cousins, they also have a stronger connection to the natural world than those born in Haman. With their first change generally occurring much earlier, and their exposure to the others around them changing, third-breed children often learn much better control of their bodies, to the point where they can often partially transform before they can even pass through their rite of passage. It's not at all uncommon to see a third-breed in Haman form summon the claws of their Krenos when discretion is needed. In summary, Garu born of humans are the most common. They use their familiarity with technology and human society to great effect as they blend with the swarms of them concentrated within the cities. Those born of wolf excel in the wilderness and the Umbra where their strong instincts and connections to nature allow them to survive and thrive far from those same cities. Finally, those who are born from Garu, while reviled and mocked by our most traditional and conservative members, fill out the remainder of our society. Born in battle form, the members of the third breed are immersed in Garu's society and lore from birth, allowing them a head start on their cousins. I think that covers most of the highs and low points, so we'll call it good for tonight. Next time we get together, we'll be discussing the sway that Luna holds over us. So look to her as you lay down for the night. But always remember, don't let the worm bite. That's it for this week's episode of Lore of the Apocalypse. Tune in next week for another one. Thank you for listening, but a very special thanks to my patrons, Mammy Parsons and the Primogen. Without you, the battle for Gaia would already be lost.